Hi, and welcome to the West Visalia Audio Podcast. Each message is designed to help you grow and inspire you to take action. Please take a moment to hit the subscribe button, and don't be shy to drop us a message if you have a question. Thanks for listening, and God bless. It's good to see everybody here this morning, and Steve, your beard does look spectacular. I'm quite impressed with it. You know, a lot of people say, man, you guys are pretty traditional there at the West Jose Church of Christ. Our worship leader has a pink beard, so I'm just saying, we're pushing the envelope here. I don't think I can pull it off. Let me see. I don't know. It's got pink stubble. But I want to remind everybody before we get into our lesson this morning of a few things. Um, our small groups, um, notice on the screen behind me, the times have changed a little bit. The one at the church building tonight and the one at my house is at 5 p.m. Current the one in Corcoran still at 6 p.m. That might change. Um, but with kids going back to school and, and getting darker, I requested that we change it to 5. And it was kind of one of those speak now or forever hold your peace kind of things. So we said, all right, well, let's try 5 o'clock. We can be fluid with this. It's okay. Um, so tonight at 5 o'clock at the church building, my house at 5 o'clock, and Corcoran at the Weatherford home at 6 p.m. are our small groups. And let me also remind you of our youth forum that is just a few weeks away as well. Um, that is October. We're expecting a good turnout, a lot of kids and a lot of adults too as well. Um, they're saying my microphone's not working. It is on. I hear it. Um, so um, with that, with the um, youth forum coming up, there's going to be a lot of people here and good lessons. Let me encourage you to be part of that. And um, we're going to have schedules. And we already have schedules in the foyer for that. Well, a few months ago, actually back in April, Zinni and I had the privilege of taking uh, a trip out of this country. We went to Switzerland. We'd never done anything like that before. Our 20th anniversary kind of trip that we did. And uh, we went to this place right here. Ladderbrun in Switzerland. It really looks like that too, by the way. Everything in Switzerland looks just like Instagram, wherever you go. And the coolest thing we did was is we rented bikes and we uh, went through there and, you know, had the whole European ex Switzerland experience there kind of thing. Saw cows with bells on them and all sorts of cool things. Um, but you know what I said? Every place we went while we're in Switzerland, I said, you know what? We should move here. And in fact, I've noticed that anytime I take a vacation anywhere, no matter where it is, I go, you know, we should move here. And I start looking at real estate. From Lake Tahoe to California City, okay? I've done both. I'm like, we should move here. No one requests California City. But I've looked at real estate there. It's pretty cheap. Almost as cheap as Boron. Um, Tom knows about Boron. But um, yeah, anytime you're on vacation, you have this tendency to go, you know what? I want to move there. And it's not so much that the place is spectacular, although that place is pretty spectacular. It's when you're on vacation... You're not dealing with real life, right? I mean, you're not dealing with the normal stress. You're not dealing with your job. You're not dealing with the drama. You're not dealing with your own city and your own country a lot of times, things like that. It's more of laid back. You're on your own schedule. You get to eat out when you don't normally eat out. You can do things you don't normally get to do. So we have this tendency to think, wow, if I moved here, my life would always be like that. But we know that's not true. We can't always be on vacation. We can't always live a life of complete ease where we just relax, sit on the beach, sit lakeside, sit up in the mountains with a fishing pole on our hand, whatever it is you like to do. We can't always be on vacation. And no matter how hard you try to live a life of perpetual vacation, one day you come home, you turn on the news, and this was from a screenshot last night. Force there um, are threatening uh, over here, and then we uh, the Hurricane Ian, Indonesian stadium tragedy, politics going on, economy's down. You're like, oh man! Apparently, the vacations 
over, right? I mean, you can always live this life. There's always going to be problems because no matter how hard we try to avoid it, and I try to, you know, we, the world is still broken. No matter how many occasions we take, no matter how much safeguards we put in place to shelter ourselves from the world, the world we live in is still broken. That means there's still work to do. In fact, at the beginning of our lesson series on Nehemiah, weeks ago, months ago, um, we, we introduced this idea of sometimes things are broken and we have to do something about it. We talked about broken families, we talked about broken homes, broken careers, broken finances, broken friendships, broken churches, and we talked about there's work to do. Fast forward toward the end of the book of Nehemiah, there's still work to do. There's still marriages that are broken, churches that are broken, communities that are broken. There is still work for us to do. So with the book of Nehemiah in mind, in our theme of arrive and build, we're going to do a two-part lesson here to close out this book, and we'll move on to our next series of lessons. But as we close out the book today and then next week, this idea of, of rising up and building continues. Now you might be saying, hold on, Cliff, because back in chapter 6, verse 15 makes this statement, so the wall was completed. Now you might think, well, what's, that, what's the big deal if you're new here? The book of Nehemiah is about this guy named Nehemiah who works with the king, uh, a Jewish man. He realizes and finds out about the, the state of the wall around the holy city of Jerusalem and how bad it is, and he weeps over it. He's, he cries, and he prays. He goes to the king. He gets permission from the king to go back to Jerusalem and build the wall around the city. I mean, it's a noble task, an honorable task. And it takes a lot of people. They face a lot of persecution. They needed a lot of supplies. But they go there and they work hard on everybody working together. And they're even fighting off enemies at the same time. And in chapter 6, verse 15, it says, So the wall was completed. So they just lived a life of vacation and safety there in Jerusalem for the rest of their life. And they lived happily ever after. No. There was still work to do. But sometimes we think that way, don't we? We think, all right. We had this project we needed to do. We got it done. Everything's good. I mean, I, I do these like that once a week, right? Maybe I'll go outside and I'll mow my lawn. And I'll edge it. And I'll blow off the driveway. And I'll sweep things up. And I'll sit back and I'll go, looks good. And three days later, there's still work to be done again, right? Just because the work got done at that time doesn't mean the work is always done. Oh, they accomplished that one task, but the task of, of restoring that system there and cleaning up the situation and getting people godly, well, that was never ending. Let's talk about maybe another angle. Um, in our own religious history, I don't know how much you've ever seen this, but throughout the history of like Christianity, there's always been like different movements. You know, we have like the Reformation movement or, or the movement that, that our particular congregation kind of came out of was, was the American Restoration Movement, which was also part of kind of like this thing in the called like Great Awakening and all that. But in that movement, one of the, the leaders of that movement that was a big key player of it was a guy by the name of Alexander Campbell. Might be familiar with him, his dad, Thomas Campbell, and other guys really pushed forward what we have even today. But Alexander Campbell was part of a church that was called this. Old Light Anti-Burger Seceder Presbyterian Church. You thought we had a big name, right? Imagine putting that on a marquee. And I had to Google what these meant, by the way, because I was like, how do you anti-burgers? I love burgers. But this was a certain oath that you had to sign. So he was, he was part of a church that was anti-signing that, and I didn't even care to look up the Old Light, and I get the Seceder. They left other groups. But he was part of this religious body, this church, 
called that. And there was a whole bunch of other churches like that that had all these various fragmentations of the whole. And they're like, hold up, this is not the way it's supposed to be. We shouldn't be this divided. We should work to have unity. So instead of identifying ourselves as old line anti-burger seceder Presbyterians, let's work on just being Christians, right? Let's just, just be Christians only and not have all these divisive kind of things that we're good, that, that make us separate, you know, all those sectarian ideas and, and all those things that will identify one church over another church and, and all those things that cause all this conflict. Let's get rid of that. That was the goal. It was, it was a unity movement. It was a, a good movement, a great idea, and I'm glad, glad they did. But here's kind of what happened along the way. The movement started as a unity movement, seemed to be like the early church in the sense of restoring that New Testament community of all of that, right? And, but along the way, we stopped moving. It's like somewhere in the 20th century, in the middle of it, we go, all right, we did it. Work done. And we kind of stopped being a unity movement. When was the last time you heard a conversation about that, right? I mean, <laughs> churches are more divided than ever. Not only just we talk about different churches in the town, go, open up even churches of Christ national directories. They have, they have to have a legend at the beginning that tell you all the different classifications of different ones. Now, they might not be called light anti-burger churches of Christ, but we all have our own little things that we do in there that, that divide. It's not supposed to be that way. We sh there's still work to do. There's still work to be that movement that we're supposed to be, and even backing up, there's still work to do when it comes to being like the church of the Testament. Jesus in John 17, verse 23, says, May be made completely one, but the world may know that you have sent me and have loved it as you have loved me. Have we done that yet? No, we haven't. We haven't completely unified Christianity. We got work still to do. Love, patience, compromise, tolerance, grace, mercy, you know, Bible study and all communication, everything still needs to happen. There's still work to do. We can't check it off and go, all right, we restored the New Testament church. No, we still got work to do. Let's think about us as individuals. Most of you here in this room have been baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for remission of your sins. I'm glad you have. If you haven't done that, talk to one of us. You need to do that. But when you get baptized, it's not like, all right, I'm born again. I'm good. No, the growth doesn't stop. It's not like I did it. I was dunked. I'm good. From here on out, I'm just going to coast and I'm on vacation, right? No, there's still work to do. But our natural tendency as humans, whether individually or collectively, is we have this tendency to seek complacency and comfort. We don't like to be pushed. We don't like to be challenged. We don't like to be made uncomfortable. And instead of doing the work that is needed, we'd rather just, well, be like that guy and take a nap. What happened in Jerusalem is that they did good work. Man, they got that wall built and they did it fast. Those guys in the Restoration Movement did a good work. The guys in the Reformation Movement, they did a great work. And preachers in our own community here have done great work. But it's not, all right, the work is done. No, the work is never finished. Just like that lawn, it just keeps growing and there's stuff that you need to do. But how many times have you heard people say, well, no one wants to work anymore? Well, you know what? That's not a new problem. It's not this generation, the generation before. In fact, you go all the way back to the book of Nehemiah, you find that there was people that didn't want to work. They didn't want to do what needed to be done. The wall was built, and now they kind of are just falling back into their old habits. And you know, Nehemiah gets angry about it. And I'll tell you, most church leaders, I, I went to a, a lectureship at a Bible college a couple weeks ago, and I was talking with some of the instructors there, and we were talking about 
how quickly preachers turn over in different jobs in the sense that like, all right, they're working with this church and then they leave and they go to that church and they leave and go to that church. And he was telling me some shocking statistic of guys graduating out like seminaries and stuff like that about how quickly they leave a work and why. And the big complaint from those preachers of why they left those works was this. Well, no one wanted the work. Well, no one wants to work anywhere. We're all a bunch of lazy slugs and none of us want to do anything. Um, and sometimes you got to just help people to work. Just like Nehemiah, we got to motivate people to arise and build. But what happened along the way is we get angry, we get upset, and sometimes we quit. But I want to let you know this. When you see God's work being neglected, when you see people not doing what they're supposed to do, when you see people giving up and not working for Jesus, I'm going to give you permission to, to be angry. Yeah, most of the time we're, well, Christians aren't supposed to be angry people. We're supposed to be happy, joyous all the time. No. We can get angry. And I believe the book of Nehemiah in chapter 13 shows us times and places where it is okay to get angry. So if you haven't already done so, open up to the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 13. And I want us to look specifically about what made Nehemiah so mad. And I think you're going to realize, you know what? I'd be mad too. In this situation, I said this is going to be a two-part lesson, but let's look Nehemiah chapter 13, and I'm going to start there in verse 1. It says, On that day they read aloud from the book of Moses, in the hearing of the people, and there was found written in it that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever enter the assembly of God, because they did not meet the sons of Israel, bread and water, but hired Balaam against them to curse them. However, God turned, however, our God turned the curse into a blessing. Now, when you read on to the next verse in verse 3, you're like, oh, well, they fixed that problem. I think what we're beginning to see is a symptom of neglecting God's word. Because they should have understood that God didn't want, want the Moabites and Ammonites, bad guys here in the story, to be able to enter into the assembly of God. And we'll that could be a question for another time about Old Testament temple activity and all of that. But those guys were enemies of Israel, and they shouldn't have been allowed into the temple, but it was a shock almost to these individuals that, whoa, what? the Bible condemns that? But it seems like they started to ignore God's word. And here's why I say this is the beginning of a bigger problem. Let's keep reading in verse 4. It says, now prior to this, Eliashib, the priest, who was appointed over the chambers of the house of our God, being related to Tobiah. Now, those of you that have been through this sermon series so far, the name Tobiah, does that ring a bell a little bit? Is Tobiah a good guy or a bad guy? Bad guy, okay? He, he's authority in Nehemiah's side. He opposes Nehemiah all the time. In fact, the text earlier says he vehemently opposes Nehemiah. Now, I don't know how often I'm vehemently vehemently, I can't even say it, vehemently opposed to something, but Tobiah was that way toward Nehemiah. But he's related to the priest. And the priest here shows favoritism for truth to his relative. Verse 5, he had prepared a large room for him. Formerly, they put the grain offerings, the frankincense, the utensils, and the tithes of grain, wine and oil prescribed for the Levites, singers and the gatekeepers and the contributions of all the priests. What in the world is going on? This blows my mind. Let's think back for a second here. Sambalot and Tobiah were always opposed to Nehemiah. They were making fun of the work. 
They were, they were awful, evil people. But they had an inside connection with one of the priests. And that priest let the guy who was opposing the building of the wall the entire time move in. Not only move in, but move into the place where they stored the offerings that were given to God. Do you think that made Nehemiah angry? Like, hello, what in the world? Could you imagine that? I mean, there's time to pull out my hair. Maybe that's why I'm bald. Um, when the, the things that church people do. You're like, seriously? That's what you came up with? And could you imagine Nehemiah hearing this? We're working so hard, we're building the wall, and the high priest is leading people of worship. Oh, by the way, you know, Tobiah, who wanted to kill us and make everything bad, had to move his temple. What? We go on. It says, but during this time, I was not in Jerusalem. Oh, so Nehemiah out of town. And when he's out of town, the people start making, it's like when Moses goes up on the mountain, and what did they do? They made a golden calf and started worshiping it. Sometimes you just want to slap somebody, right? So here we go on. It says, but during all this time I was not in Jerusalem, for in the 36th year of Artaxerxes of Babylon, I had gone to the king after some time I had asked for leave from the king. So he's there um, dealing with the king and, you know, important matters that he had to deal with. The king fought their work. And while gone, the priests are approving of evil and letting an evil man move into the temple. And Nehemiah comes back. And he sees what's going on. Now, I think our bulls are being nice with the words they use in verse 8 here in a second. Because look at his attitude. Let's back up. So verse 7. And I came to Jerusalem, and I learned about the evil that Eliashib had done for Tobiah by preparing for him in the courts of the house of God. So he led him on in. And verse 8, the New American Standard makes it sound kind of more polished. It says, it was very displeasing to me. It's more than just displeasing. Because look what he does. So I threw all of Tobiah's household goods out of the room. And I gave an order, and they cleansed the rooms, and I returned there the utensils of the house of God, which the grain offerings and the frankincense. Nehemiah gets angry. He's not just, well, very displeased. He is ticked off. And he comes in there, and I picture him coming in, steam coming out of his ears. He's grabbing Tobiah's stuff, throwing it out of the temple court, kicking him out of there. And then he says, and we cleansed it. Why? Because it's been defiled. You have a little person in there. That's supposed to be a place for God. And it's, he has to cleanse the whole thing to get rid of him. And he brings the offerings back. He's angry about this. And that's okay. It's okay to be angry when people do things disrespectful to God. It's okay to be angry when someone hurts another. It's okay to be angry when people who know better make dumb choices. What in the world were they thinking? They let Tobiah move on in. And Nehemiah got angry. Let's keep reading. Verse 10. I also discovered that the portion of the Levites had not been given them. So that the Levites, the singers who performed the service, had gone away each into his own field. We're going to talk about more about that next week. But he sees what they're doing. And then it gets 11. So I reprimanded the officials and I said, why is the house of God forsaken? Why did you do this? What were you thinking? The lesson for us is this. I think it's okay. I believe the Bible shows it's okay to be angered by the things that make God angry. Because you know what this reminds me of? Something that happens, oh, like 400 years in the future... 500 years in the future with Jesus when he goes into the temple. 
And what does Jesus see in the temple? He sees people in there, the money changers, that are ripping off people. People are coming and trying to sacrifice, and the money changers know it. So they're charging fees, and they're taking advantage of the people that are there just to worship God, and they're turning the temple into a den of thieves. And what does Jesus do? He turns over their tables and drives them out. Apparently, we as humans have a tendency to let people in the situations we shouldn't. They did with Messiah, and the people did during Jesus' time, and Jesus was upset, and he got angry. Nehemiah was upset, and he got angry, and he had what we would call righteous indignation, which is really just a fancy religious way of saying he got angry for the right reasons. That's it. It is okay to be angry for the right reasons, and it's okay to respond even out of anger as long as you're responding the right way. Nehemiah didn't do anything wrong throwing that guy's stuff out of there. He needed to do that. He needed to get rid of him. Now, we can maybe debate later on in this chapter what he does, if that's justifiable, because I've not been able to get away with what he does later on, but I probably could get away with throwing someone's stuff outside of a church building. But Nehemiah, you're going to have to read ahead to know what I'm talking about now, huh? But it's really, really cool. But Nehemiah got angry for the right reasons. And my encouragement to you today is this, get angry. Get angry. Not bitter anger, not self-righteous anger, not arrogant anger or hateful anger, but get angry when God's work is not done. And even get angry at yourself when we're not doing what we need to do. Righteous indignation is biblical. We should get angry when our family's problems. We need to fix that, work toward it. We need to get angry when marriage problems. We need to get angry when our church isn't doing what it needs to do. We need to get angry when our city is neglecting certain groups of people. We need to get angry when we're not serving God right that that affects our soul because it's not even just well i'm not doing anything wrong it's not getting angry and reacting and doing the right thing that also is sinful i came across this idea was this not doing bad things is not what makes you righteous it's doing the right thing is what makes you righteous and we have a tendency to go well i'm not doing those evil things so i'm good being righteous means we do the right things, and we even get angry for the right reasons. We say what needs to be said, what do what needs to be done. We don't just sit back and be passive and let others deal with everything. We get angry, and we get angry for the right reasons, and we respond in the right way. Skip ahead to verse 14. When all this goes down, Nehemiah turns to God, and you can tell he's broken, he's upset, he's worried that everything he has done has been done in vain, which I'll tell you, any church leader will tell you the same thing. They worry about that. I do. I've been here for like almost 20 years, and I worry, what if we're not doing it right? What if this has all been in vain? Nehemiah, in verse 14, says, remember me for this, O my God, and do not blot my loyal deeds I perform for the house of my God and its services. He responded out of anger, did it righteously, and he handled his righteous anger with prayer. He turned to God. And when we find ourselves angry, but angry even for the right reason, it's good to turn to God and have him guide us. But can you imagine you're in the situation, Nehemiah. You took a trip, we're on vacation, and you come back and everything has fallen apart. Quite the reality check, isn't it? And you know, you think about Paul. He was always worried about the, the churches that he had worked with. What, what's the state they're going to be like when he maybe comes back? What you find time after time again is that, that things still broken. The world is still broken. Lives are still broken. Churches are still broken. And that, that should make us more than just a little upset. We should get upset by that. We get ticked off. We should get peeved. We should get upset. 
but not just upset where we complain. There's a difference. See, truly righteous people don't just get angry. They, they, they get busy. They do something about it. What if Nehemiah would have gone back there and go, I'm done. I'm done. I quit. That's your problem now. I helped you build the wall, and apparently you didn't learn anything. No. You get angry, but you also get busy because there is still work to do. We got work to do in this congregation here. And I, I know you see work that needs to be done. I see work that needs to be done. We got to do it. But let's not just get angry because I know sometimes we get angry. Like, well, we're not doing this. We're neglecting these. We're not serving the community like we should. We don't have the involvement that we need to have. We don't have teachers that we need to have teaching. We're not giving as much as we should give. We're not all, all these different things we see. Yes, there is still work to be done. Get angry and get busy. That's for me too. I have a tendency, I like to get angry and then get complaining is what I do. I get angry and go home and complain to Zinni about it. Well, have you tried to fix it? You know what I mean? All of us need to try to fix it. We can't just act like, all right, we've arrived. We've made it. The wall has been built. That's just the beginning of the work. Well, we have the West Visalia Church of Christ was established here in this community in year 1960-whatever. We did our thing. No, there's still work to do. Well, we established elders back at this time. We need more still work to do. We started an organized teaching program. There's still work to do. We did outreach in the community. There's still work to do. Let's get angry and let's get to work because the work is not done. The lesson is yours this morning. If you need help getting to work, if you want to get to work and you don't know how, we're going to be having some sign-up lists and things to get you surveyed to know how you can get plugged in because we want all of us together to be a working group of people. I think COVID made us all kind of complacent a little bit. It was easy to kind of phone in Christianity or log online, and then even now that we've gotten back, we've kind of gotten out of the routine and just other people are doing things for us now. Time to get to work. We can't just coast now. We can't say, well, we're waiting for things to get back to normal. No, 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 no. That's all done. We're working now. There's work to be done. If you need help getting plugged in, we'll get you plugged in. We'll get you volunteer. If you have an idea of something that needs to be done, you go, you know what? I've always thought it'd be good that if we did this, we'll give you money to get it done. Okay? I mean, you don't need permission always to do great things for God. If you see works that need to be done and you want to know how to get those started, we can get you talking to the right people. If you want to volunteer, let us know. But right now, we are going to sing a song. If you are here this morning and maybe you strayed away and you need the encouragement of the church, I'll be here for like a verse or two to help you. If you want to get baptized into Jesus Christ, we can that. But you can always talk to one of us afterwards too. But let's all stand and let's sing together. Thanks again for listening to West Visalia Audio. We hope these messages have helped you grow and inspired you to take action. Be sure to check in each week for more on-the-go content or visit our YouTube channel to watch the live video. Thanks for participating and God bless.